Rejecting the screen, going ISO edition. It's the long-form interview. Noah Kozlov and Adam Stenko joined today by Richard Jefferson, the 13th overall pick in 2001. Spent 17 years in the league. A champion in 16 with the Cavs. Went to the playoffs 12 times. Went to the finals two other times with the Nets. He's a McDonald's All-American. Spent three years at Arizona. Went to the national championship game as a junior. Maybe most significantly, he was a legendary lemonade vendor at the Diamondbacks ballpark when he was an All-American in high school. So give us your, your lemonade concession call. Uh, my lemonade concession call? Uh, you know what it was? I'm going to be really honest. It wasn't that good, but I used to hustle a little bit, mainly because it was more cotton candy, but it was like a lemonade cotton candy stand mix. It was mainly because the girl that I was dating, her best friend, uh, her father ran those vendors. So we used to work that in high school. I think it was probably illegal. Uh, the cheap labor that he was uh, forcing us on. But uh, yeah, I was pretty good. I'd walk up and down those things six, seven, just trying to, and just know you got to get down to the suites. That's where like the lower level boxes, those people spend the most money. Upstairs, not as much. So does this mean that Arizona just wasn't paying enough at the time? So that's that, why you were- the, the, Exactly. Everyone asked me like, what did I get? I worked at a cotton camp and I was <laughs> West Coast player of the year. Right, just to try and get an extra 50 bucks here and there. That's what I did. I should also say, Richard now a Nets TV analyst. He's on ESPN. He's on Pac-12 Network. He's got the Road Trippin' Podcast with Channing Fry. Who, who handles your schedule at this point? Who handles my schedule? Oh, Naila. Uh, she works for my, my agent, Naila Waterfield. She has the worst thing in the world because every time I have to travel, depending on who I'm traveling for, where I'm going, the different portals that you have to do. She's a saint. Poor girl. Poor girl. So, Richard, taking it back again to high school, you go on a recruiting trip with Luke Walton, Mm -hmm. and this is a legendary Arizona recruiting trip. Somehow (laughs) during this trip, you guys both end up knowing that you're going to be Arizona Wildcats. And, And I've heard just so many variations. Can you take me through what happens on this infamous Arizona trip? Uh, pretty much what happened was, is, so me, Luke Walton, and Ricky Anderson, all three of us are on the same trip. All three of us play the exact same position. Uh, uh, Tayshawn Prince, as many NBA fans probably remember, he was from L.A., but he had already decided that he was going to Kentucky. So most of the West Coast schools were battling over. Ricky went to Long Beach Poly. Ricky Anderson, Luke was from San Diego. And so there was probably like two or three schools that were all battling, and I had never met any of them, being the competitor that I am. Uh, but I hang out. We go to Arizona. They just won the national championship, and these guys are literally gods, gods on campus. And I'm looking around, and it's like, look, I want to win, and I want to be treated like this. And so uh, Luke Walton, at the time, at about 2 a.m., he's like, we should all just come here, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I was like, dude, you're crazy. I was like, I'm from Arizona. This is no big deal for me. You know, his dad went to LA. There was a lot of speculation on that. And he's like, I'll do it. So the next morning, right, and it was our first recruiting trip, all of us. So our next morning, uh, uh, I have breakfast with Luke Walton had a flight at like 6 a.m. I have breakfast with my parents at like 8.30 with Lou Olson. And you know, Ricky was like, hey, I just have to take one more recruiting visit, but then I'm going to commit after I get home from that visit. And we're like, whatever. 
So I, I have breakfast with my parents, Lute Olson sitting there holding his championship ring. And he's like, hey, we're so excited. Just got a commitment from Luke Walton. And I'm like, yo, this dude really do, did it. What a crazy dude. And I, I, I was literally middle of my meal. And I was like, well, coach, I just want to tell you, I've seen enough. Uh, and I'd like to come play at Arizona. My parents had no idea. I said nothing. I literally, and this is, you know, pre-cell phone, pre-social media. So it was like, my parents were like, wait, what? And I had four other visits for like all that stuff done. And Lou Olson was like, are you sure? Can we announce it? I'm like, yeah, you can announce away. I don't care. I've seen enough. There's no place else that I need to go. Uh, and it was just funny because we had three guys on that recruiting visit. All three of us came and the rest was history. What about the tattoo? Oh, that tattoo? Oh, that was easy. Mike Bibby, because he was lazy. Uh, he was like, hey, I'm going to go get another tattoo. Uh, he was like, if you come with me, I'll, I'll get one. You can, I'll get you one. And I was like, I don't know what to get. He's like, ah, just get your initials on your arm. No one ever called me RJ. I never. And I was like, oh, I'll get my initials. No big deal. But 17 years old, on my visit, I get this tattoo. I hid it from my parents. And it was funny. No one ever called me RJ. I was never introduced as RJ. And then all of a sudden, I get that tattoo. And every TV announcer for the rest of my life started calling me RJ. And that's how that shit got started. Wow. Do you, so do you prefer RJ or Richard? Oh, I prefer Richard. Uh, Richard is, that's my name. I've never introduced myself as RJ. Ever, 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 ever. Wow. Richard or some, or some variation of it. But, but this is the thing. I used to correct people, and then after a while, there's just no point in, in correcting people anymore because it's just you're just going to spend your entire life correcting people off a tattoo that you did. All right, so then, Richard, let's go back a little bit further than in high school. When you got, you got kicked off the freshman team, yeah. from goofing off. Yeah, what, surprise, what surprise. Is, what Anybody is, what, that's ever listened yeah, right. to me or, or, <laughs> or followed my career, surprise, surprise, I was an idiot at 14. What did that teach you? Uh, you know what it was? It, it, it taught me a little bit of respect for older people. And I say it in the sense that our school was awful. Like Arizona is not a hotbed for basketball anyway. And our school was trash at basketball for many years. My high school coach took over and he developed a bunch of young guys, a bunch of seniors. And our coach came up to me after my freshman year, sophomore year. They were going to be the number one team in the state. They had a guy that was the state player of the year. Another guy, Travis Brown, who ended up was a backup quarterback in the NFL for another year. They had some just a really good group of guys that were playing. And he was basically like, Richard, I can't have you on this varsity team with all of these seniors that have worked so hard and what you know possibly could be the state player of the year. He ended up playing at like UC Irvine, the guy Mark Murphy. Uh, and it taught me like, wow, I have to respect the older guys if I want to be a part of this. And so, you know, I went, I went and got, got on the honor roll and did all the things that I, was, I needed to do in order to be a part of that team. And we were the number one team in state. Didn't win the state championship, unfortunately. But I think that was the first thing that taught me is that I have to respect the, the work that other people are putting in. So even as a rookie, understanding the veterans. My, my freshman year, Jason Terry was a senior, and he had sacrificed multiple years because they had Miles Simon and Michael Dickerson and Mike Bibby. So, so Jason Terry's senior year, all of us are freshmen. And we're like, Jason, shoot the ball all you want. Go get yourself drafted. And he was national player of the year, um, you know, first team All-American, all that other stuff. Uh, but that's what I think it taught me. It taught me at 14 that even though I'm the younger one, I have to respect the older people's time because they've put in the time and you just have to respect that. 
All right, so Richard, a guy that we both worked with uh, in the past, Casey Jacobson, has told the story before about you guys playing at Michael Jordan's camp, summer of 2000. He, He tells this story as though, it was just this unbelievable moment that Michael Jordan had this aura about him and and you guys are playing in in what's essentially a pickup game at the camp from what I understand. You're on Jason Williams' team, Casey and, and Michael McDonald from Stanford, Damar Johnson. Meanwhile, Jordan has Q Rich, Darius Miles, Carlos Boozer. What are your memories from that, that experience? Uh, you know what? I have two memories. Uh, one, uh, the first day, uh, the first day we were uh, we were balling, right? And we played really, really well. And uh, Gilbert, I think Gilbert was there. I was there. There was a bunch of other guys. And I remember Darius Miles. I'd never met him before. Amari Stoudemire was at that camp also, and he was a sophomore in high school and jumped higher than all of us. Wow. Uh, you know, one, one of my memories was, so Jordan used to famously bartend at that bar in Santa Barbara and just, you know, a night out. Again, this free social media. So guys can be a lot more social. Yeah. And and so the first day of the camp, we're playing pickup and we're running up and down. And he was just like, yeah, you know, from what I see, I think, you know, your Arizona team's going to be good. He's saying this to the group. Next day, we go that night, we go out and I am still in, I think, 2021. 20, and I'm not sure how to drink. I'm not the best drinker. I'm still figuring it out. And I drank a little too much. And the next day might have been some of my worst basketball of all time. And MJ looked at me. He was like, Dude, yesterday I thought you were going to be Scotty Pippen. Today you were some shit. <laughs> and so I just kind of laughed and I was like, no, to sell, Richard, you can't drink and play basketball at a high level the next day. So just kind of lock that information. I- I'm mm-hmm. talking about like, I was like, I drank too much, like borderline throwing up. And then you got to show up to work the next good. day. This wasn't, yeah. this wasn't like, oh, I had a couple of drinks and I sucked. This was just like, I was 20 years old at University of Santa Barbara, just having the time of my life at the Jordan camp. That That's more of what that was. So, you know, you just get a little too much. But I think most guys are professional enough now where it's like, and, and again, too, with social media, and I keep bringing that up because it really has changed how people behave. Guys are a little bit more reserved. In pub. doesn't mean that they're not having fun and they're not out there, but they're just a little bit more reserved. You're not going to get sure. to that point of sloppy because pictures and videos will show up literally the next day. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand, so start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. Adam, you know what my favorite part about this time of year is? Uh, the foliage. Yeah, for real. That's, <laughs> that's actually right. That and get to get the layer up with some sweaters. And then, of course, sure. it's hoop season. So we've got pro and college ball tipping off. No better way to feel like you're part of the action than to have a stake in the game. MyBookie.ag. People ask me all the time, who you like in this one? Who you like in this one? And I'll make recommendations. And then I'll say, well, just make sure you're getting paid out on MyBookie.ag. And if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use the promo code. Locked on NBA, locked on NBA to activate the offer. That's promo code locked on NBA to double your cash. And college hoops is back. And I know you're a big college guy. Adam, the guy you're most looking forward to watching this year in college hoops is Greg Anthony's son, Cole Anthony at North Carolina. I am pumped to see what this kid does. He is a phenomenal lead guard. 
All right, you can lay the money down on the Tar Heels or anybody else. Just go to mybookie.ag today. Use that promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Activate the offer, promo code LOCKEDONNBA to double your cash. You play, you win, you get paid. Gilbert Arenas said, said recently that on draft night, he, he had to ask his dad, like, oh, did my name get called yet? Because after he heard your name at, at 13, he's like, wait, wait a second. He was the fourth best player on our team. How is he getting, how is he getting drafted before me? Uh, because I was the fourth best player, but I was probably the one guy that had a true position. Um, um, Lauren Woods was a great seven-footer, but he had some back issues. He had just had back surgery the year before. Uh, Michael Wright was six foot seven, really, really strong, a great, great college player, but he was undersized. We were about the same height as a power forward. And then Gilbert, who was a crazy person and was a crazy person then, is a crazy person now, was probably the best out of all of us, but he was an in between guard. Imagine like Lou Will, right? Where he doesn't, he's not yeah. a point guard, but he, at the time, he didn't shoot it well enough to be a two guard. He was just a great basketball player. Uh, and Gilbert, to his credit, turned himself into one of the five or six best players in the NBA for a few years. Uh, but I had a position. I was six seven. I was, you know, extremely athletic, and I had, uh, and I, and I had turned myself by Lou Olson pushing me into a very, very good def- wing defender. So, like those combinations, and if you look at guys like Vince Carter and stuff like that, they kind of uh, they're like, oh, this is who he is. This is who he can be. And so that's how I was fortunate enough to go as high as I did. When you end up playing for the Nets, you had the chance to play with with Jason Kidd, who I think is the greatest pure passer of all time. And people can dispute that, Magic, John Stockton, what have you. But just in terms of some of the magic with the ball, I'm curious, from your perspective, what is it like to play alongside Jason Kidd for someone, obviously, who's never done it before? Well, you know, Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Magic Johnson, John Stockton, all of these guys, when you step on the court, and this is an ability that I don't think a lot, like some people can make you better because they uh, draw so much attention, right? With Shaq, and you're going to know he's going to see double teams, so you're going to get more open shots than you are contested ones, right? So like in that, you know, just inadvertently, he's going to make you better because you're going to get a more open shot. Jason Kidd made you a full point better just by being on the court with him, right? So if you were a seven, you were going to be an eight. If you were an eight, you were going to be a nine. Like that's who he was as a player. Um, I, I stand by this. Magic Johnson is six foot nine, was able to make passes and Matt and, you know, maybe without a Magic Johnson, maybe there isn't a Jason Kidd, right? Because, you know, the no looks, the, all these different things. To me, Jason Kidd is the greatest passer of all time. Um, because he wasn't a shooter, so people often, they sagged off of him. He became a shooter later in his career and became a, a very, very good shooter. But he, in his prime, when he was doing triple doubles and he was possible MVP, he was never a great scorer. Steve Nash, if you just kept backing up on him because you didn't want him to pass, that man, could, that man would shoot 40% from three, 50% from the field. There wasn't anything that he could do on a basketball court. So Jason's ability to pass, even when people aren't guarding him, is kind of like Rondo you know, where like Rondo can create and get mm-hmm. assists, even though people are sagging off him, that makes it that much more difficult. So Jason Kidd could just make everyone around him better. 
at all points in time. And we're not even talking about what he could do on the defensive end. Defensively, he's one of the probably five or six great like point guards of all time. Your teammates, kid. So I, I was thinking about like an, an all-time starting five from your teammates. And, and I had kid and Steph, LeBron, Dirk, and Duncan. Of course, Steph wasn't now Steph when, when you played with them. But am I missing anybody? And, and who would be the sixth man? Uh, who would be the sixth man? Oh, that's tough because I've been so, so fortunate in, in all my years. Uh, my, my sixth man to score, um, I would probably have, uh, Kyrie come off the bench, right. You know, the, uh, and then, you know, and, and then my, my seventh man would probably be Kenyon Martin, you know, a guy that can come off and defend and just had a toughness about him. Uh, you know, there's certain people that you just, you've been in battles with and you respect their approach to the battle. You respect their competitiveness. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be great at all times, this and that, but it's like, I know that you're going to give me your best and your all, and you're going to demand that from me, right? In a, in a competitive way. So I have no problem going to war with that type of person. On or off the court, your best Kenyon Martin story. Let's see. That's a, that's a tough one. Uh, Kenyon, you know, you know, we famously, you know, I've told the story about us getting in a little scuffle. Uh, but you know, Kenyon was just like a big brother to me. I, I, uh, I'll say this, this is the type of relationship that Kenyon and I had, and we are both very different people. We come from very different backgrounds and I, and it's not even that great of a story, but it just kind of lets you know who he is. Like I was kind of turning into a score, you know, his last year there and I stopped and shot a pull up. Right. And he, you know, we come in a timeout and I missed it. And he was like, Hey Richard, we can get a better shot than that. And I was like, at first, you know, that immediate defensiveness was like, uh, and I was like, you know what? You're right. We can get a better shot than that. Right. And that, and that's one of those things that like you just forever respect. Like that moment is always ingrained in my head because it's just like him as a big brother, he understood who I was becoming, but he also had no problem being the type of leader that could tell me that type of information at the right time. And as long as that information is received in the proper way, then you can elevate yourself. Like I famously say our Jersey team, Jason Kidd could not shoot. Jason Collins could not score or shoot. I could not shoot and Kenyon Martin could not shoot. How did we accomplish what we accomplished? We worked harder than everyone else. We defended, we communicated and we shared the ball. Like we probably overachieved um, like that team today, it would be hard for us to exist because we didn't score in the hundreds every single night. But at that time, you had a bunch of guys that just ran hard and worked hard. When you're talking about getting messages from teammates, how about messages from coaches moving on in your, in your career, Richard? How did you handle going from Scott Skiles to Pop? Uh, you know what? It was different, you know, and, and Skiles, is a, I, I, I like Skiles as a coach, Popovich, you know, I really, really learned a lot. What you have to do, no different than players or coaches, you have to just take tidbits. And I was, you know, when you come in in 2001, I, I'm still a part of that older generation. And, and San Antonio famously is ahead of the curve. They've always been ahead of the curve. They've actually created the curve. So like in, you know, in 01, you would watch these veterans come in like 10, 12 pounds overweight. You'd have this grueling, grueling, grueling training camp. Everyone would drop seven, eight pounds, and then you'd be ready for the season. You, you know, and so I had done that. And, you know, as I got older, you start to understand that and then moved to San Antonio. And Pop was like, you know, you're at, you're, you know, you're at 241. 
we want you at 234. He was like, we don't have double days here. We don't do this, but you're going to have to do work on your side. And so like immediately, not that it was, a, it was a struggle because I didn't have the same off-season workouts, but what I learned and it helped me later on in my career is like, oh, I need to be lighter. I need to come in in shape, not use training camp to get in shape. I was like, that was kind of a change for me. And, you know, it stuck with me, um, you know, as my career progressed. And, and, you know, I still stand by. Had I not gone through what I went through in San Antonio in year 9, 10, 11, I would not have made it to year 17. And along the way then, having Mark Jackson, and the stories have been all over the place about Mark and Golden State and how he does want to get back into the league. Should he be coaching somewhere right now? I believe so. I believe that Mark Jackson should be coaching. Um, I, I think, you know, sometimes, it, you know, it's kind of like Carmelo. Sometimes it's not whether or not you're one of the best players. Mark is not about whether or not Mark Jackson is one of the best coaches. You know, it's about selling yourself. It's about convincing other people that you are the person for the job. And do I think Mark Jackson can coach? 100%. I watched him instill a level of confidence into these guys. Um, and, and, you know, Steve Kerr is, it will be one of the first ones to say, it's like, hey, this team was a top five defensive team when I showed up, right? And then the other guys, their offensive game took over. Understand that Draymond was, I had Draymond as a rookie, right? I had Clay as a rookie and as a second mm -hmm. year guy, right? They made it to the postseason. Steph was coming off multiple ankle surgeries and people didn't know what he was going to accomplish. That's why he had that contract that he did. So, to take these guys in a franchise that hadn't had much success and to take them to the postseason basically because they had the lockout year and then the next two seasons take them to the postseason, that's an accomplishment. Like, that's not an easy task. And, and obviously Steve Kerr, as these guys got older and more mature and understood the game more, continued to grow that. But if I'm looking at I have a young team and I want to instill confidence in some young players, Mark Jackson was that guy. And, and you know, I, I think everybody wants to go a different route or, or search a different way. But truly, you know, I think Mark Jackson really was a key, key, key part to all of their success. I want to move now to the Cavs. 2016, you guys are down 3-1. Noah and I recently talked to Maurice Spates, and he had told us that basically uh, when they were down 3-1, in their series against the Thunder, when, when the Warriors were down 3-1, they thought it was over. They thought they were, they were just done. I'm curious to the mindset of the Cavs during that time. We all hear the famous story about David Griffin's email um, that goes out to the team inspiring you guys, and then you go on to win, win the championship. You guys down 3-1, what's the mindset like? What kind of conversations are going on between teammates on the Cavs? Well, I, you know, our conversations are, we were so, first of all, we were disappointed in our performance in game one and game two. We really got punched in the mouth. Game three, we came out and did what we were supposed to. Game four was a game that, that really screwed us. Game four was a game that we were up eight in the second half. It's one of those things that Golden State, even if you do it right, even if you play perfect defense, they can hit the shots that, that are unguardable. Um, and so that part was frustrating. So we felt like we let that get away. And we needed some help. We needed a boost. And, and I won't sit here and act like Draymond being suspended um, didn't help us. It did. It helped us get back into the series in the sense of, hey, look, Kyrie and Braun both go for 41 in game five. And we needed every single one of those games. Now, right, 
That's one game. Draymond could have sprained his ankle. Draymond could have right. had back spasms. Anything could have happened, right? So, you know, even with the Draymond suspension for all the people that say blah, 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 yes, it did help us get back into the series, but it's not the reason why we won the series. And Draymond was doing things and doing extra things throughout like the postseason like you don't get suspended in game five of the of the postseason if you're not making mistakes in game two of the first round in game right. four of right. the second round and game six of the, uh, of the of the of the conference finals that's the, that's what people you know tend to forget and don't want to put um not necessarily blame but pay attention to so we get that help and once we get that help like we were we only lost one game at home and even we felt like that got away. And so our belief was like, hey, win game five. We will not lose at game six. Like that is one of those things. We will not lose game six no matter what. And then game seven, anything can happen. We did not walk into game seven knowing we were going to win, right? We believed that we could win. And we had two of the, two of the best players in the world on our team and probably the best player in the world and the best player in the world on our team. And we had already seen Kyrie go for 40. So it was like we knew what we were bringing to the table, but we also knew Golden State doesn't lose at home. They rarely do, especially when they're at full strength because Draymond will be back at home. So our approach to it was more like, hey, if we make it to game seven, anything can happen and anything did. That was actually the, that was actually the only close game of the series was game seven. Draymond being the knucklehead against the Rockets, that's what, I mean, that, that would be the move that got him suspended. He didn't get suspended for hitting LeBron in the nuts. He just got his final well, and, yeah, and, under, and, understand, and understand that those conversations had already been had. Those conversations sure. had been had. Like, Draymond, if you do anything else, if you do anything else, like, you're going to get suspended. That play that where he kicked, <clears throat> where he kicked, and like, yo, look, Kobe had been suspended for a non-basketball move. And sometimes when you hit, when the ball gets hit or your arm gets hit, you flail your arms and your legs to draw attention. But if in the meantime of drawing attention, you hit someone, imagine if you flail your arms to try and draw attention and you poke someone in the eye, you scratch someone, you hit someone in, in a, and you cut them like, and they can miss time. So like, that's what they talk about a non-basketball play. If the ball goes down and you kick your right leg up, and it doesn't mean that he hadn't done it before. And I'm not saying that other players haven't done it, right? Other players do. It wasn't anything that was outside of the norm, but it was something that like, yo, you have an eye on you. You have like, like you are like, they are focusing it on you and saying, you better not make another mistake. And in that point, when you swing and you hit somebody in an area and Braun obviously gets, you know, frustrated about it, you are on a, you are on a zero strike rule at this point in time. I know we only have a few more minutes left. Do you ever think about where you fit in or the benefits that you'll have for the rest of your life as being part of the, from being part of the LeBron economy? Uh, no, I, I fully, I fully recognize that. Right. And, you know, a lot of people mm -hmm. think that I am a Braun apologist or I'm a Braun fan and all this other stuff. It's like, no, part of being a, a, a true brother with anybody is being able to call them out when they need to be called out, uh, holding them responsible. Um, and understand too, I, I think everybody in my 2016 team and all on those four champ on those four conference championship teams, they all have their own, you know, fingerprint or their own footprint, and we all contributed to it. But I do sure. understand. I, I do understand that lots of people, like, it's no different than how many people have succeeded based off of being a part of the San Antonio farm system, 
Oh, right? sure, how many yeah. people how many people have benefited from being, you know, under Belichick's or Saban's system? Sometimes great people, they are so great that you can learn from them. You can you can actually use that for an opportunity to get your chance. Like somebody said, Oh, this guy wins a championship and now all of a sudden he gets these T V jobs to defend Braun. It's like, no. <laughs> right? I'm not saying that they didn't <laughs> help, but like you said before, I personally think me being a McDonald's All American might have helped. Me being on the all the final four team might have helped. Me being an all rookie team, me being on the Olympic team, all of these things helped me be in the position that I am, right? If people only want to focus on Braun and they want to direct that, I have no issue with that because I'm fairly secure. But at the end of the day, ever since I picked up a basketball at 14, I've prided myself on being on very, very good teams. That's why I went to Arizona, trying to win a state championship in Arizona, you know, going to the final four and losing in the national championship. You know, all of these things, even my first couple of years, doing what we did in Jersey, right? Like these are things that I, I tried to pride myself on. And so if people want to make it seem like my success now is only tied to 2016, I truly believe those people have never experienced long-term success in their life. If you think one moment in time can make you successful forever, it can, but it's more likely that you put in that work for 10, 15, 20 years to bring you to a position, right, of success. Well, look, it's our it's our final minute with you. And I'll just say this, that there is no one in our industry right now from an analyst perspective, athlete perspective, who stepped into the business that I recognized earlier on that was taking the craft more seriously. And this comes from a production guy myself. I saw what you were doing with your podcast, how you were asking people questions, seeking out feedback. I've appreciated that. And that's why you found success in this in this next chapter. So just a couple quick hitters for us right now. Where's your bronze medal? My bronze medal, I have no idea. It's somewhere. My wife knows where it is. I have no idea. I have no idea. I kid you not. I still have random dreams that I get another chance at the USA team. Um, yeah. um, I, but obviously, like I said, it's a dream. It's just like a subconscious thing. Like I probably want another try at that. Um, but I, I don't know where my bronze medal is. I don't even know where my like final four ring is. I know where my championship ring is. So, but all of those things are in a very, very safe place. And, you know, I, I look at them from time to time. All right, late game situation. Who are you more confident in in their craft, Ian Eagle or Kyrie Irving? Ooh, ooh. I gotta go with Kyrie. Kyrie hit the biggest shot of my life, but I gotta go with Kyrie. Yeah. But okay. in their in their two crafts, they are equal, right? They are equal in their craft. But you know, I can't win a ring. Maybe if Ian gets me an Emmy, can we win an? Can I win an Emmy? If Ian helps you me win an Emmy. Then, then I don't know how that stuff works, but I hear those things are cool. So, um, no, no, I and I would not be in this position. And again, I'm so so fortunate that I played for the Nets. So Frank DeGrace, like my whole career was like, Richard, you got to come back. Richard, you got to come back. I want you to do TV. He's been saying this since I was like 25 years old. Whatever happens, I want you to come back. Every year, my last four years, upon like they were like, are you going to play? I want you to come to us. So the fact that I got the opportunity to go back to Ian Eagle and Sarah Kusak and Ryan Rucco, Michael Grady, all of these guys that have been in this business and doing a great job, because when you sit next to Ian Eagle, you get better. He's like the Jason kid where you sit back and you just do what you'll do and he'll adjust and navigate around your personality because Sarah is different than I am. And, you know, I'm all over the place. And, and, and Ian is just like just he is just that consistent person. 
All right, so broadcasting aside, when February and March come around, who are you signing with? Who am I signing with what? Oh, what? Like what? Basketball? Yeah, Wikipedia has yeah, you listed you as a free with? agent. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm retired. Who, who, I'm fully retired. There, there's nothing. There's okay. no, I'd, rather, I'd, rather, I'd, rather work, I'd rather work 80 hours a week at this to try and be the best I can at this than to go and have another fun six months just traveling around with teams. It's, I, I did it for 17 years. Like, there's nothing else. There's nothing else for me there other than just to go mess around. So I, I'm, I'm outside of that space. All right, Richard, super appreciative you did this. The last thing we want to ask you, this podcast is rejecting the screen, which means we ask our guests, one guy in your entire career that you played with that you would choose in a situation to just reject the screen Take a game over, critical situation. Who you going with? Ooh, reject the screen. And um, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say Kyrie Irving. And the reason why is because Bron always says that he's not a scorer. That's always his thing. Okay, well, if you're not a scorer, then I'm going to pick a guy that prides on, on himself that he feels like he can score every single time he touches the ball. So I'll pick Kyrie. All right, he's Richard Jefferson. You can see him pretty much everywhere if you've got a TV with the Nets, ESPN, <laughs> X12 Network, the Road Trip and Podcast as well. He's the fourth all-time leading scorer in Nets history as well. Richard, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you, brother. No problem. And Adam, you're spot on with what you said about Richard, about knowing that he would take this job really seriously because you've got that intimate knowledge of him being in production meetings, being in the control room when he's on set over at Pac-12 Network. And I would just say from listening to him do the road tripping podcast for as long as they've done it with Channing Frye, you could tell that it wasn't like he was trying to go out there and roast people. He was just being honest and letting people behind the curtain and let listeners know the way it is. And he has certainly done a really good job translating that to all the 18 platforms that he's on now. Noah, throughout the careers that you and I have had in, in television production and in studio work and all that, we both have worked with a lot of analysts and whether those are coaches or players or what have you, insiders, there, there are people that treat this business of television production, studio production as a craft. And there are those that don't. And the ones who treat it like a craft can and if they have talent can take their game and their ability to this, to this other level. And early on, I saw this and, and I was listening to a podcast that he had done on road tripping and he talked about how he started asking people questions about the business and not about how do I get paid or what's my schedule going to be, but more so how do I become a broadcaster? And that's different from being just a former athlete that goes into a booth or a former athlete who goes on set. And I think seeing what he was asking all the right questions, and then taking that feedback, learning from it, spending time with him myself as we went through some things that he could improve upon and his thirst for getting better. There was no question in my mind that he had the uh, the willingness to get better, to improve. And he already was a great speaker and he's charming and he's funny and all those things. He doesn't take himself too seriously. And so because of that, I knew he could be good, but to where he is now and how quickly you know his star has risen, um, I'm not shocked by it, but I'm certainly happy to see him there. And not just from someone who was there early on, uh, watching him transition from, from former player to broadcaster, 
but also just as a fan from a guy that likes to listen to smart people who have been through the fire, who can then talk about it and really explain it for the rest of us. All right, so I'm not going to ask everybody to subscribe, download, rate, review, because what I've come to realize is that I think it might just be asking too much of people. If you're asking Mm. people to do four things, then what are they getting in return? I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not going to rent a car even through somewhere if I'm not going to get rewards points for it. So what are they getting in return? So all we're hoping is that you took something from this podcast, that you just spent 30, 45 minutes with us and Richard Jefferson, that you learned something. And if you did, share it with one of your friends. That's all. So we're just asking you to do one thing. Share it with your friends. And then hopefully they share it with their friends and their friends and their friends. And then maybe down the line, you end up subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing. But I'm not asking you to do that right now. Just share it with your friends and say, hey, I learned this from Noah, Adam, and Richard Jefferson. Fair? Yeah, I learned that Richard Jefferson goes by Richard, preferably. Right. Does not like RJ. Yeah. That's what we learned. Yeah. You can follow Adam on Twitter at NaismithLives, um, at Noah Kozlov's L-O-V. Check out all the other shows on the network, Locked On NBA, Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd, Hollinger and Duncan, John Hollinger and Nate Duncan go all things at analytics. And then, of course, every team across the NBA, that's your team every day. We are rejecting the screen. Again, just share it with your friends. That's all we're asking. Adam, thanks, pal. Appreciate you.